0: From the mountains to the coast, create memories, meet new people, and find your favorite wine, mead, or cider in NC. Download the NC Wine app or visit ncwine.org to plan your trip to North Carolina wine country today. I am Joe, and I'm Matt. We're the NC Wine Guys. Welcome to Cork Talk. In this episode, we sit down with Donna and Greg Hutchins of Cellar 4201 Vineyards in East Bend, North Carolina.
1: Donna and Greg decided to plant
0: a vineyard in 2003. Once they started, there was no going back. Now they have just about five acres under vine. At Cellar 4201, they focus on maintaining a pristine vineyard and producing high-quality wines. Wine Class with the Wine mountains is back. This time, Jesse and
1: Jessica talked to us about the compound volatile acidity. This episode is made possible in part by a grant from the North Carolina Wine and Grape Council. You can learn more about the council by going to their website, ncwine.org.
0: So sit back, pour a glass, and listen. So we're here today with Donna and Greg Hutchins at Cellar 421. Donna, Greg, welcome to Cork Talk.
2: Thank you. Dude. Nice to see you.
0: And we're happy to have you. Uh, we're happy to be here with you. So. Yes,
1: yeah, great. So tell us a little bit about yourselves. Go ahead and uh, give us an introduction.
2: So, yes, well, we're co owners and uh, started, started the vineyard in 2003 and um, have had a pretty successful run up to now. Um, started with two acres in 'o three sort of as a test run like let's just try this you know see how it goes um and at the time we both were employed you know full-time as well so everything went great we learned a lot obviously the first season and things to do things not to do so in what 04 we decided we'd plant what three more acres all right, so that's what we did. And there was no turning back. Here we are, 2022.
3: And after we planted the five acres, we thought, what are we gonna do with all this wine? You know, with all these grapes. So uh, that's when the idea of take, uh, opening up a tasting room came, up, came about. Then we had to work on the name, right? Right. So. We kind of went back and forth. Donna said, "I want some numbers on the bottle because we noticed some numbers on some of the wines at other locations, not North Carolina, uh, but you know, like a bend this and bend that." So she said, "Let's put forty-two oh one on." And then the arrowhead was with her heritage, the Indian heritage, and I, so the only thing I really had was. Cellar. I said, let's put Cellar 4201 <laughs> And, uh, but as far as the label goes, uh, she took care of all, everything, from the color to the lettering style, the font. Uh, and the arrowhead just, you know, kind of popped. So, it was, uh, that was the start. Just one thing led to another, you know. started doing some wine festivals, with some of our first vintages, uh, a couple of years actually before we ever opened our tasting. Uh,
4: I think that so was around
2: 2005 did. when we actually had our first bottling. So essentially that was like two years young, if you will. But it was fun. You know, it's like you gotta get out there sometime. Uh, and so to market ourselves, like he was saying how we're gonna, know, what are we going to do with this? We're going to sell it. So we just got into the whole, you know, um, event scene with, you know, wine festivals mostly. And that worked out well. That was a good way to introduce yourself, meet other people in the industry, you know, share ideas, get info. So it was really fun because at that early stage, we didn't have a huge responsibility in regards to having the tasting room, having the whole retail situation uh, and it wasn't nearly as expensive as it would be later on once we got into the big picture of having, having a real, you know, business. So it was fun and we did that from 2005 until 2009 when we officially opened for business and opened the tasting room and, you know, invited guests out. For tastings and so forth. So, um, then yeah. after that it was just
3: let's go for it. And we had several so vintages to offer, you know, when we opened up.
1: That's the way to do it too. I mean you don't want to open up with nothing in your inventory. You want to make sure you have enough mm-hmm. to kind of go out there and, right. and make sure you have some of the reserves so that way you can say, Here, here's something that will taste good in a couple of years and you know what it tastes like.
2: So. Right. You know, and people are receptive to that. I mean, like you said, you can't start out, you have to start out simple and and people realize, okay, this is not going to be a, a Napa Cabernet Sauvignon. This is a North Carolina wine, it's young, it's going to taste like this right now, but it could taste like this in two years. You know, so, and that's the way I think we all have to start. You know, whatever region you're in, whatever country you're in. So it just takes time and patience to develop what I would consider a really quality
3: wine. We're, we're proud that we, you know, we grow all of our grapes right here. So we, when we opened up from on day one, it's fruit that we grew here. Uh, that that do not mean a lot to some people but it means a lot to us. And then each year, you know, you get out here and you work real hard, and you don't know what the wine's going to taste like. But you can just do the best you can. And uh, It's just one big garden, really.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, (laughs) you
3: can ride in and you know that the vines have been taken care of. So you, I guess you expect that you're gonna get something nice, you know? Versus you ride in a place that the vines look like they need some work, and you, I guess it's just first impression, you know. Um, not, I'm not saying we have the best, but we have stuff that we like. We drink it, mm-hmm. so we wouldn't ever serve or, you know, sell anything that just, that we wouldn't, you know, drink. So. so I'll
1: definitely say that every time we drive in, we always look at the vines coming in, we're like.
0: These are pristine. These are immaculate. They're well trimmed. Everything is manicured. is the word I always mm-hmm. use, mm-hmm. and I use that word today mm-hmm. as we're driving. It. I mean, the care—you can see it. You can see the care and the, and the the labor that goes into it as you're driving it, and and then it reflects mm-hmm. in your glass. Yep. And, and like that has
2: been our goal. Yeah. For you know to say small, boutiquey, quality wines, hands on as owners from been your management to what goes in the bottle we're very integrated with all those phases uh, because I think that makes a huge difference um, it does. instead of just taking you can take beautiful fruit to a place and leave it with a qualified winemaker and some people do that and say okay I'll be back in three months or four months or whenever you know just let me know if you need anything we've never done that we're very like you know involved with the winemaker or winemakers and the processing and doing a lot of trial runs with the wine and and the bottom line is we make the decision on what goes in the bottle also being very aware and very you know appreciative of the winemakers thoughts and from a chemistry point of view but um and, and it's worked out really well. We've, we've had several different winemakers. Mm. Not really, well, not really by choice, but things happen, you know, yeah. and people make changes. But um, it's, it's worked out really well.
3: I will say that Yakin Valley Wine Company is, to me and to us, it's been our best choice for getting wine made. Benny, Kim runs Logray, Gray, then he runs the wine. You know, yeah, I can buy wine come here. And he knows and looks at everything going on and he he's going to make sure it's run yeah. on the top level, you know. And from day one, we've always had confidence there.
1: Well, it shows in the wine,
0: too. So The wine that mm-hmm. you're serving is it, you know, there may have been some changes in the wine in the years. The wine still consistently and it continues to get better, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So right. I think that's a it's a testament to the commitment that is a Yakima Valley company, as well as the commitment you right. have when
2: you're here. And that is also uh, very important to us uh, is that you know the profile of the wines stay pretty consistent. And I think that's a challenge, it is. and that's something that we strive for because once people have had your you know Sangiovese they hope that they come back in two years and it may be a little different based on the vintage but still it's that same flavor profile mm-hmm. and i feel like we've kind of held true to that and and even as the years have gone by that you know the cabernet sauvignon i feel like is so much you know nicer than it may have been five years ago or whatever mm-hmm. you know but and i think a lot of that starts in the vineyard and Greg is responsible for all that vineyard management but it starts from the plant up and uh, the way it ends up in the glass it's really we try to understand it's a big picture you know and um, just being involved and as owners we've pretty much always been been here or been around to assist and be in the tasting room and engage with the clients and, and uh, in like a small, sort of laid-back, cozy, European sort of style patio. Yeah. That's kind of who we are, you know, uh, and people, people enjoy that, you know. Because it's authentic.
0: Okay. And that's why they enjoy that. I love that.
2: that. That's the word I was yeah. looking for. Yeah. Know? It doesn't, it's not
0: pretentious. It's, yeah. It's, it comes across yeah. who you are and that's. that's awesome. So let's take a step back to 2003. Yeah. yeah.
1: What made you decide to plant grapes? Why a vineyard? Two acres is a lot.
2: A lot, yeah. Like I said, we are both working full-time, and we were just sort of, you know, getting into the wine scene. I've been drinking wine a long time. Long before I was legal, probably. Greg, <laughs> maybe not so much into wine, but it was early on, and so a lot of people in the area were kind of jumping in. Tim and Brenda Dabber were you know buddies and they'd been in a couple years and we would just be out riding around hanging out oh let's go to a venue let's go stop by off twin hill and he had the property here and and the land there was nothing on the land never any tobacco anything right that you know of
3: oh there's probably tobacco in there before. maybe maybe years, right. years nothing ago nothing that but, i knew there so were the trees, there was tobacco yeah,
2: like yeah so i mean you know we had the property I'm thinking, you know, why don't we just like plant a couple of acres, see how it does. You know, yeah. we both enjoy gardening and plants and kind of green thumb. And we're like, that shouldn't be so hard,
4: <laughs> you know. So,
2: with the help of some good friends and a lot of tequila and uh, beer and whatever else,
3: that's how it was put down. We,
2: we planted the vines. I mean, you know, we got everything shipped from. A very reputable uh west coast nursery and did business with them with all of our root stocks and we went out there on hands and knees and planted it and
3: i mean it it worked knew nothing about it yeah but we were out riding around on a motorcycle and believe it or not i stopped up there at rag apple got my little tape out and I measured the rows were nine foot apart, <laughs> plants were six foot apart, got back on my motorcycle, and we headed on down the road. So <laughs> Went over here to Home Depot, bought a transit, and uh, shot the rows, and my buddies, they came out as long as I had something cold to drink. And, uh, we put it in, and, uh, but really as far nice as It an experiment. As far as, why'd you plant two acres? I just thought you were supposed to plant an acre of each one, you know? And uh, so we planted, started out with Chardonnay and Merlot. Okay.
2: Uh, After consulting with some very knowledgeable people, we didn't just go, okay, we got this. I mean, we hired consultants and, you know, people that I'm sure you guys know is still in the business. They came out and, you know, checked out the land and surveyed and did, you know, I mean, you know, tested the soil and and all of the th- things that we didn't know to do, but we got help. We didn't just go in blind, you know. And then chose varietals based on suggestions and what would grow best here. And we both, I mean, like sort of the old world style wines. And so that's how we came upon planting Chardonnay, which is still the most sold wine in the world. Chardonnay is, and I think probably always will be. But um, and it's grown very well. Along with uh, you know Merlot and uh, the Cabernet Sauvignon and Basie. and that's how we chose those grapes.
1: So you started with two acres, you added three more. So you got five acres now total, or do you have more?
3: Actually, we ended up with five and a quarter. Okay. But now we're down to four. Okay. Yeah. Taking out an acre of Sanji and we had some Cab Franc. We had a quarter acre of Cab Franc that uh, just it wouldn't ripen up with the Merlot mm-hmm. when I needed to pick it. Uh, you can't just pick a quarter acre of fruit.
1: Any plans to
3: replant
0: anything, or are you going to stay not, up for it?
3: Not at this. Not at this point. Well, that's all right because
1: yeah. so what you got looks great. So you want to make sure you have mm-hmm. good quality fruit. You don't want to try to overextend. So that's it. That's a good choice.
2: And pretty much we've never like had a bunch of employees or you know. We pretty much, Greg particularly has taken care of his vineyard almost, you know, 100% single-handed. I mean, yes, you have to get assistance at harvest, and when you you have things going on like tomorrow with netting, you have things like pulling these, You have to get assistance, and we've done that through the years with qualified Hispanic people that work a lot of the farms. But pretty much, it's, it's just been our thing, you know, and so. I don't know, it's just kind of worked out that way and, you know, you like that because it's hands-on and you have control of what really happens. It's like, and, and you can see it visually, I'm not just saying that because it's our vineyard but when people drive down the driveway, that's the first thing they say. It's like, this place is like, you know, God, who is that? I mean, is he a perfectionist? I'm like, well, yeah, he kind of is. He's Virgo after all, so yeah, he's a damn, and I am too, which is crazy because you know, we drive down the driveway and say, like, oh, you missed that right there. It was like, there's oh, one you, many. you know, there's too, one too many. Can you just, like, get out and grab that? But uh,
1: I think being right here on site definitely has something to do with it, too. That's very true. We, we've talked to several growers who are right on site and several who are off, yeah. and you can definitely tell the difference. When yeah. you live here, when you see it, when you're in there day in and day out, you can definitely know.
3: When you see it every day, you have to do
0: something. You don't want to do it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know, you can't take a day off. Yeah.
0: Well, and you know exactly what the weather was. You know that you got rain. Versus if you didn't live on site. You True. You may or may not know that. If you're 10, 15 That's miles a good away, point. you never know. Right. Like, could, there be rain? could
2: there be rain? Right. Right.
3: Right. So, a, it's a tough business, no matter... Right. Of course. Farming's farming. Yeah, You know, and if you've never farmed like I had never farmed, it had been farming in my family, and my granddaddy, but... When the sun's out, you better be out there doing something. You don't want to get too far behind it. It's, it's, all, it's all hard work. If it's not in your blood, it has to be in your blood after you plant it. You know what, <laughs> what I mean? There's, There's no there turning back. The back. Yeah.
2: After, after, after the 04 4 we planted the additional three acres, and then there was all this stuff going, we're like, you're in it. I'm sorry. There's no walking away now. You're like, no. you just got to go for it.
1: Well, it's different than a garden because gardens yeah. come and go, but
3: this is here. This is going to be here. Yes. Yeah, so, 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. There was one thing I know, I'll go back. When we first planted out here, <clears throat> we had some conversations, okay? <laughs> I mean, what have we got ourselves into? Anyway, she was on one I'm side like, of the line, I was on the other, and we were trying to train them, you know, We on our knees, you know. And uh, so, it was a lot of hands on. We had a lot of help from people, I mean, ask, like you say, asking, what are you spraying, uh, what do you do, what, what, how do you handle all this growth, you know, so some of those folks went to school and learned, but they were willing to share the, they were, you know, they were willing to give advice and share their thoughts about it, and that's how we got to where we are, you know. You learn where to, what to cut and what not to cut, and what to spray and what not to spray.
2: And we've gotten a lot of education from various sources. I mean, he has to keep up license. You have to go to all these, you know, you're talking about Sarah Spade and all these people. He's been to all those things and, you know, classes when we could. And so it's just, you can't do something blind but for so long. I mean, you just have to, you know, delve in. And, and you know, it's grown so tremendously. I think there was a question that I really liked about sort of like the biggest impact would sort of be like just to have really kind of jumped in sort of early. Oh three, I don't know the exact number, but I'm telling you, it was very small at that time. Right. Particularly Yaken Valley. I mean, I don't know how many, fifty, seventy five like total in North Carolina. But we were we were we were kinda of in there early. And it's kinda of neat to have watched the explosion. Yeah. You know. Of North Carolina Wines. And now that people, I mean, we're kind of getting on the map a little, you know, people are appreciating North Carolina Wines that live in other regions, I mean, you know, West Coast and, 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 you know, wherever. International competitions are awarding North Carolina Wines and things like that and, you know, getting noticed in Wine Spectator and just, you know, top-level uh, situations. And that's, that's really cool, you know. to to have been a part of that. And the introduction of the uh, North Carolina Fine Wine Society, you know, I think that's been great. Uh, You know, it brings people together and just, I feel like they have great accomplished judging on a national maybe even they have some international songs, I don't know. but uh, So it's interesting how it has evolved and we've just Set back on the lower level and watch it just sort of
0: boom. Very yeah. neat. A lot different than it was in 2003. <laughs> totally, <laughs> yeah. yes. So I think we're actually at a pretty good spot for a
1: quick little break. But when we come back, let's talk about what you're growing here on site. All right. And we'll talk about all those very nicely manicured vines.
2: That sounds great.
1: It's time again for Wine Class with the Wine Mounts.
0: Jesse and Jessica, welcome back.
4: Thanks. Thanks so much.
0: So what's our compound this time?
4: Today we'll be talking about volatile acidity, hmm. also known as VA. Oh,
0: ah, okay. Yeah. This one we've heard this of. This one, yeah. I was going to say, finally, one I've yeah. heard of before. So,
4: <laughs> Right. If you're in the know, you're in the biz, you probably have heard it called VA. So now you'll of know course. that um, nice acronym um, and you can use it. And sound like one of the cool kids. Excellent. Well, tell us more. Yeah. So volatile acidity is steam distillable acids that are present in wine. And it's associated with two different aroma compounds found in wine. Acetic acid, which could be like vinegar, and acetate, which is like nail polish. So neither of those things really scream like, yeah, this is amazing. (laughs) So true. Um. So bacteria present in winemaking can cause the volatile acidity, um, also known as the acetic acid. And wine spoilage is going to be defined by the level of volatile acidity, which is largely going to be composed of that acetic acid in wine. Hmm. Volatile acidity comes from the acids in wine, and they occur in the form of a gas rather than a liquid. So VA is going to be perceivable by smell.
1: I mean, and, you know, just thinking back on it, it definitely has a very recognizable odor. It sure
4: does. You know, but it's not one of those that I'm like super confident on identifying consistently. I think my perception threshold is not great with VA. <laughs> but we can get into that a little later. But um, so VA arises from exposure to oxygen during the winemaking process. And it's enabled by a type of bacteria called Acetobacter.
1: So that makes sense because acetobacter is one of those that kind of produces vinegar, isn't it?
5: All wine just wants to be vinegar at the end of the day. (laughs) Let Mm
1: -hmm. it go long enough and I'm sure it will be.
4: Mm -hmm. Why can't we just let it live its dream?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Because it's so good before it reaches its, you know, end goal, I guess. (laughs) So true. (laughs) Excellent. So so tell us a little bit more about VA. How does it, um, you mentioned it is one of those that, I I lost my thought, my cat was meowing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so tell us some more about V.A.
4: So there's a link all the way back to Louis Pasteur in 1857. And he set out on a mission to figure out what was causing beer and wine to spoil and become what it really wanted to be, which is vinegar. Um, and acetic acid bacteria were the microorganisms that Pasteur was eventually able to identify as the culprit for causing that spoilage. Hmm. So thank you, Louis Pasteur. We have a lot to owe
1: yeah, he definitely made a huge mark on history.
4: Yeah, for sure. So moving into where
5: VA is found, we talk about it, we've kind of mentioned in the winemaking process, but it's kind of all over the board. So just starting with the vineyard, yeast found in the vineyard, specifically like, you know, the native yeasts that that exist already are able to produce large amounts of acetic acid and ethyl acetate early. I mean, they produce it during fermentation. So I guess it's still a secondary aroma. But thinking back to winemaking's evolution and moving towards you know, yeast that you buy that are cultivated for winemaking, a lot of the reason is because the natural yeast have such a tendency to produce acetic acid and spoil the wine, why we have cultivated yeast to start with.
1: And that makes sense because you want something a little more controlled if you're trying to make a commercially viable product. but. I mean, nothing against the natural wines that you're kind of rolling the dice there sometimes. But I can I can see that because sometimes natural wines have a little bit of natural funk to them, I guess you can call it.
5: Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, you can know that going in and step up your game on all the other winemaking practices, you know, to to make sure (laughs) it doesn't just let loose and turn your wine into vinegar. Absolutely. But so V.A., is associated with oxidation. The the oxygen, you know, is what allows it to grow and proliferate. One way you can help control it is with SO2 and your sulfur dioxide management. That will kill that bacteria and, and protect your wine. You also have want to have good temperature control, sanitation, manage your oxygen levels, like your headspace and wine and everything. So, I mean, VA is one of those that's probably one of the easiest aromas for to understand of all that we've covered because, you know, it's a bacteria that grows with oxygen. So the way to avoid that is to manage oxygen levels and use SO2.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. You know, all the, the common wine making practices kind of push you in that same direction.
5: Exactly. So volatile acidity is also Regulated by the Tax and Trade Bureau, it's one of the faults, um, I guess, that at a certain level is actually regulated. So the maximum volatile acidity that's that's allowed technically is 1.4 grams per liter for red wine and 1.2 grams per liter for white wine of acetic acid.
1: Okay, that makes sense. So it has a pretty noticeable threshold, then.
5: Yeah, that's a pretty high threshold. I don't know, like what the sensory level is, but I do know it's much lower than that. Like, I think, I think if you're at the point to where you're above the level of the TTB, then it's, it's just really bad.
1: Yeah. And then you might just let it go and have it be vinegar at that point.
5: Exactly. I'd probably be able to detect that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But wineries can, can measure acetic acid. You use a cash still. And so You can measure that throughout the winemaking process to see where you're at and how it's doing. It's definitely one of those faults that's much easier to prevent than it is to correct. There's not much you can do to get rid of it.
1: Gotcha. So I know you mentioned SO2 is a good preventative measure, but it doesn't really have the same effectiveness to get rid of it once you do have it.
5: Right. The two kind of things for getting rid of it is if it's low enough, a lot of times you just blend it with other wine. That's not at fault. And if it's to a higher level, you can use reverse osmosis, Um, but that is a very expensive saving technique. And you're actually going to strip out a lot of other aromas when you do that too.
1: Yeah, it seems like blending it with other wines seems to be the the better option because you're really just diluting it. So that kind of helps.
5: Exactly. But, you know, this is another one of those aromas that in low doses, it can add complexity and, you know, a lot of good wines, like, you know, Old world wines, they have volatile acidity in them. You just have to keep it at the the level where it's adding complexity and it's not getting to that sensory threshold for people that's too much. Hmm.
1: So what would be some of the good things that it's adding to the wines then?
5: I know we keep saying vinegar as bad, but if you think of vinegar mm-hmm. at a low level, that can be a good thing, you know, like a fine balsamic vinegar or something. Mm. So it can add a little bit of a tartness that's, that's like, a good
4: tartness to your red wine. Yeah. Or kombucha, or if you've ever had shrub, uh, which is kind of like a vinegary cocktail kind of thing, um, it has that tartness and kind of bite to it, but is drinkable. Have y'all ever heard of shrub?
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's actually okay. a company in North Carolina that makes shrub from muscadines.
1: The, the Old North Shrub. Oh,
0: really? Mm-hmm. Old North Shrub. Yep.
1: And 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 that little bit of acidity kind of helps elevate the wine itself. It's almost like adding right. a pinch of lemon or squeeze a lemon at the mm-hmm. end of a dish. So.
5: Yeah, Very exactly. Cool. And you'll you'll see it more in like old world wine, wines that are made in older barrels, or even like port or sauternes or some of the wines that are that are fermented in oxidative environments on purpose. You know, so it's just it's definitely one of those things that it's up to every individual for for their threshold and how sensitive they are to it as far as if it's good or bad.
1: Interesting. Well, I guess that makes
4: sense. Yeah.
1: So how would we go about um, playing off the flavors of this then?
4: Oh, I think there's a both-and approach here because, you know, if, if it's going to be the fault, then the best pairing might be the think drain. Because you don't are not going to want to drink that. It's not going to be palatable. and it, You might just need to uh, help clear out your pipes with it. <laughs> but if it's one of those more nuanced, well-done, not-a-fault flavor. And you might be able to pair it with something like a tomato-based sauce to go with that acidity and that tartness. So classic maybe spaghetti and meatballs or a veggie lasagna might go here. I could see
1: that. I could see that. And we are also, you know, I personally am a fan of if, if the wine is not good, then as we mentioned before, it wants to be vinegar. So if you happen to have a vinegar mother, just go ahead and make some vinegar.
5: Yeah, there you go. Or mix it just with some oil and put it on a salad.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> very cool. Any other volatile thoughts on this one? That's not, that's not good.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it all depends on the threshold level. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: true. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Jesse and Jessica, thank you very much. The volatile acidity, it can be good. It can be bad, and it's just up to the amount of uh, the amount that you have in your wine. So we'll learn more the next time, I suppose.
5: Sounds
1: great. You can find out more information about the Wine Mouths by going to their website, winemouths.com, or on Facebook and Instagram, at Wine Mouths. That's W-I-N-E-M-O-U-T-H-S. And now, back to the show. So we're back with Donna and Greg. So let's go ahead and talk about what you're growing here on site. What kind of grapes are you growing? Uh,
3: we're growing Chardonnay and Merlot down here uh, at our tasting room. And then in the upper field, we've got Cabernet Sauvignon and another patch of, uh, another acre of uh, Chardonnay.
2: Two different root stocks, yeah. right? Okay. interesting two different stocks of Chardonnay and that they are different aren't they mm-hmm. the way they produce mm-hmm.
3: uh,
2: the end result I think it's, it's really interesting like what do you think about it this year you were telling me
3: that <laughs> the upper field seems to have more fruit on it this year mm-hmm. uh, and the vines have never been as vigorous up there like they are down here. Um, it's just a different rootstock. Uh, is
1: there any differences between the two, like location sets? Because I know you can see one of them as you're driving in, and the other one is clearly right here. So they're they're pretty close by.
3: Well, the clay down here, the the soil down here at, at the tasting room has got more clay in it. It's a little sandier up there, and mm-hmm. I found that out when we were driving the poles in. They went in a lot easier up there. <laughs> it's not as rocky, and the clay is, like you see, you got, I've got more clay down here. But some people come out here, or they say they taste tobacco. But I think what they're tasting is the minerals in the clay, myself.
2: So. The earthiness, I yeah, feel earthiness. like, is what. That's what the
3: clay gives it, you know? I know? Yeah. It's not the tobacco that's been grown in the I think
2: Carolina. they're assuming a lot of places previously had tobacco, so like, oh, I really taste the tobacco. I'm like, but we've never grown tobacco, and we don't know anybody that grew tobacco for like maybe 100 years before. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, you just like, oh, all right, you know, that's what you taste. All these
1: different phenolics kind of come out.
2: But it's really dirt, you know. It's
1: earthy. <laughs> dirt,
3: You know,
2: Merlot's kind of an earthy sort of uh, grape.
3: So what we do, we, we crop them at the same time so that we, we blend them together so it gives a good mix there. The Chardonnays?
0: Yeah. yeah. So does one bud break earlier than the other or are they about the same? Because it is fairly close together. They're so just days apart. Okay. So. And, and frost issues of course with Chardonnay, and do low, typically? Uh,
3: this is a little bit lower down here, uh, especially in the bottom so if we are going to have a frost issue, it's going to be, I think you get a little more air circulation at the upper field. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: but more they, sunlight or no? What they
3: do you get, think? They get the morning sun a little bit earlier. Yeah. So probably helps in some of that
2: frost, yeah. Mm-hmm. Early on, I wanted to call it sunset vineyards because the sunset up there was just like mm-hmm. beautiful. I'm like, sunset vineyards, don't that sound nice? That nice. just sounds so romantic. Early on, early on. And then that thought kind of went away and it ended up with uh, cell 4201. And actually my mom vetoed that name. She was like, well, honey. I said, what do you think about this name? She said, that's it. That's it. Call it Cellar 4201. I'm attracted to numbers. If I see something with a number, like a restaurant it's like, you know, Rue 37, I, mean, I don't know. I just remember that. And I was like, "Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of catchy." Yeah, clicks
1: in your mind.
2: Cellar wine cellar. It's easy. It's simple. To the point, and it's our address. So we're like, right. "Oh, we will just go with
0: that." So let's move then into the label. Talk to us about the label. I said has your your name on on the front, but talk to us about how you came up with it and what the significance of it is.
2: Yeah. So the so the airhead is the focal point uh, on all of our all of our labels any sort of marketing that we do and uh the airhead that you see there you know it's just like it's it just came to be a focal point and it just pulled everything together because of my cherokee heritage i'm like oh the airhead you know um let's see how this works out and then we started you know working with different colors based around the airhead i still wanted something simple but beautiful, but for the arrowhead to be the focal point, always. And it's it's always been that label with the same font, but the color has changed slightly two or three times. It just worked. And I know I'd be in a grocery store buying wine, and you look at a label, and it, and it really, if it's something that pops out at you, you you're kind of like, ooh, yes. that looks like it's going to be good. It, it might not be, but, you know, uh, it just, I just wanted something. When you see it, you didn't forget it. Yeah. Like, what was the name of that wine that had that arrowhead? There's numbers there, There's something. There. <laughs> and so it clicked, and we just, we just, we just went with that.
1: Now and you have to say, when you look at the label, too, you can, from afar, because we're sitting about yeah, feet where the, yeah. the bottles are, you can see the arrowhead, but it doesn't, like, it's not, it is the focal point. It ties everything together, but it, it's not just relying on
2: Yeah, just the placement the uh the the font which is a papyrus font which i love just just the style of the lettering i've always used a papyrus font that's important to me and and you know um working with the designers of the labels i'm just like oh can you make that word a little bit larger or can you make you know so you know a lot of sort of cosmetic things were important to me that may not be so important to somebody else but, you know, I'm proud of the fact that we designed our label. I mean, we did design it. Yes, we did design it, but they did the labels. But we, once again, were real involved with that and tweaked it out. And um, and I love it. I mean, I just I just think it's pretty and simple, but, you know, and that's Absolutely. how that happened.
0: So was the arrowhead found on this property, or was that just a family? It was actually found in the River Bottoms down.
2: Yeah, oh, this I'm is big arrowhead
0: cool. country. Right, right. I mean, i, really I is. growing up in Wolf's County. So.
2: You did, yeah, yeah, yeah. People come out here to hunt a, a lot, I think, still. Um,
3: Once they pile, we have a lot a a of air.
2: creeks on the property that I hadn't really looked. But you you found things in the There's creek been some years. here,
0: but not that big of an mm. Yeah, it's pretty clear that that's there. So, yeah, yeah. Mm. so that's
2: that, cool. that, yeah.
0: So we talked a little bit earlier
1: about the North Carolina Fine Wines. Why don't you talk a little bit more about your involvement in it? And again, we're sitting here at the bar, and you definitely have two awards up there. So let's let's talk a little bit about that competition and what it means to you.
2: Yeah. Well, I appreciate and respect, you know, um, the people that organized it and, you know, in the industry. And it was just a way to get out there and be competitive and just once we realized that, the judges were going to be like solid, or we felt these are people that are really solid, qualified judges versus some other maybe competitions we've been in through the years that I wasn't so sure that it wasn't just a person that said, oh yeah, I know about wine, I'll just judge this. Because we had, we'd experienced that. So you know, we felt like, you know what, I want to critique. You know, uh, it's very helpful. It might not be exactly what you're looking for. It might not be the gold standard. Whatever it is, you get the notes from all these different judges, and it's very, it's, it's very informative, and it makes you really sit back and think, well, you know, this isn't exactly what I wanted to hear, but how can I change that, or how can I make that better? You know, um, um, and so we liked that, and it just felt kind of classy, and it felt like you know people that wanted to enter that competition were really serious about their wines and felt like that they were quality wines
3: and something else, we felt honored to be in the showcase, uh, oh absolutely, everyone that which there was hundreds of wineries participated. you don't expect to win every year, but we were, we were fortunate to you know, get in the showcase for two years and um, against some of the biggest people in the wine business and we're just a little four or five acre vineyard you know uh, so we, we felt like we had some success.
2: That's absolutely it. That meant everything. Mm-hmm. You know like all the hard work has sort of like paid off not just because it was just one competition because we've entered several and we've won some international medals and it's a good feeling but that's not everything for us what really means the most is when you have a client come in or a customer come in and they taste your wine and they absolutely love it and they're like this is great you know, the, the biggest compliment I, th- I think that I ever get is when a person would taste all the wines and they would say, I can't decide, I can't decide, because every damn one of them is, like, so good. And I'm like, oh, well, then you just get two of each, and you've got case. a case, and we're home. <laughs> exactly. But but that truly, that, that means a lot. Don't you think when somebody tells you, I just can't decide, you know, makes it worth it makes it worth it all the hard work you know all the bullshit it's just like it's it's worth it
3: you, well, you might not be having the best day but then you have a positive comment you know about some hard work that you have done and helps out
2: yeah, but it really is nice to have an award uh that represents north carolina and and uh you know you just you just it just makes you proud it makes you like Okay, you know, I'm a part of that. It's cool. I like it. And I like the dinner. And it's at my brother's place, so it's fun. You know, when they bring the food out on top. The but they never do. So, exactly. but we're like, oh, shit. I'm like, oh, well, you know what? We got to get the food out. <laughs> uh,
0: so, what would you want customers to know? We touched on this a little bit already, I think. Yeah. What do you want customers to know when they come to sell Cellar 201 and experience you want? What do you want them to know? What kind of experience do you want them to have?
2: So, really, from the time that they come down the driveway, they see a beautifully manicured vineyard. Uh, they 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 have a first impression, of, or I do if I go to a nice hotel or a nice restaurant. You know, it's like wow, this place is like nice. I like it. So I already have expectations of the quality of the service, of the food. You know. Uh, of the overall just like appearance of furnishings you're just like okay this is nice that's what we want even though we're just like little bitty we're small I just want them to experience it from the time they drive in to the time they leave personal service it's all about personal service Um, you know once the pandemic hit we as a lot of other people did stopped doing tastings because as you know tastings require a lot of one on one right you know, it could be a half hour, it could be more. I mean, standing there with one person talking, 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 not so safe. So we had to think, you know, we needed to sort of change our format a little bit. What are we going to do? Well, uh, we started, you know, doing everything outside as soon as we could after winter. And so we sort of spruce up the patio, you know, um, and started doing flights, which... I love flights. I always like flights myself. Going to a restaurant, a flight, flight's cool, you know? Gives you a little choice of everything. You choose what you want. Um, so once we did that, the flights, and then they, I said, you know, have a flight, choose an outside table, and we sort of turned the whole thing into more, even more personal service with table service. And people love that. People want to be taken care of, you know. Yeah, you know, you sure. just have a table. Here's your flight. Can I get you a cheese plate, a charcuterie? That's kind of what we do now. And it's transitioned into that mm-hmm. because of, really, the pandemic. I don't know that we'll ever go back to doing yeah, one-on-one yeah. tastings. Yeah. So if you got two people, you can do, you know, right. two different flights. you got six wines. You can share those six. Uh, we have, what, eight on our menu right now currently? Then you know really what you like. Yeah. Then you order a bottle or glass, or whatever. So that's kind of where we're at, and and it's great. I I I really can't ever see going back to the one on one tasting thing.
0: And the patio is beautiful with all the umbrellas, orange.
2: And just try to keep it, you know. All the beautiful
0: plants out there. All got <laughs> <kinds laughs> yeah. the fans. Just the hermit hummingbirds. We birds just yeah, trying to it's try place to. to
2: sit. It is. Um, it is. It's just for me. It's always been about service, and uh, and it's worked. I don't I think.
3: Plus, with the flights, you you get a, more than like a little half ounce. That you wonder. It's real. It a tasting thing What did right. it taste? You know, you've got <laughs> yeah. two and a half more ounces to try it again. You know.
2: But we've always been known for overpouring. Well, People so. like, oh yeah, got a cellar. They pour you like a, you know. I mean, not necessarily mm-hmm. that, but um, just some people, oh, let me just get this half-ounce pour and make sure you don't pour any more than that. Mm-hmm. Well, give someone enough to, like, you know, taste it. Make a decision. You know, uh, and make a decision. It's not going to kill you. You've been to West Coast. You know, I mean, for years, I mean, you go there, they don't measure anything. They just pour. They may pour you your first pour, like, this big, you know, but service, personal service is, is my thing for having a successful, and I can say that and feel good about it, a, a successful business from 2008. You know, we're still here. You know, are you going to get rich? Maybe. I hope you do. But you just got to want it. You got you to gotta stay in there. You know, you got to stay the course. It's going to have a lot of perks. Um, We're not billionaires like Dynamus or Jolo or whoever, I don't care. They only drive the business. Absolutely. We all have our individual personalities and that's what's cool about the local wine scene for me.
1: So what are you uh, looking forward to in the future, both for Cellar Two Hundred One and North
3: Carolina? Well, basically we just want to get, have good service, uh, good quality wines. Yeah. And we'll always stay small. We're always going to stay small. Uh, we're just going to keep the same business format we have now.
1: Yeah. Hope for the best. Nothing wrong with small. I mean, like you said, it gives you that opportunity to really focus in on the service to the customer when they're coming in, but also mm-hmm. focusing in on the quality. If you grow too big, you can't manicure your clients all that well. So you got to stay out there.
2: Without- Hiring a crew, hiring five employees, you know, that escalates the cost, that escalates payroll. I mean, we just, we never want that. And I know that might sound like really dumb, but we started out just to be a hobby business, you know. Mm -hmm. We're both like killing it full-time jobs, and I still work, well, I don't work really full-time anymore, but I still have my other career, you know, along with this, but they mesh. And um, that's, you know, Greg pretty much is on this 100%. And that's just it. you got to stay in it. When you lose a drive, you lose that desire, it's time to do something different. Don't know when it'll be. It could happen. You know, I don't know. But for now, we're just like doing it. You know, looking forward to a really beautiful harvest and seeing that through. Cooler weather. Cooler weather, which July has been murderous for anybody that's working outside and uh
0: it reminds me every day of why i hate center.
2: i know july has fall been
3: season yeah fall's fall great messy.
0: yeah so tell folks how to find you physically and virtually it, it's in the name but tell folks how they can how they can find you and, and when they can come visit
2: yeah so really these days i mean i've had a website for years i have to say honestly don't feel like the website drives that much business, and it may be too partly because I feel like the business is coming more from uh you know social network right
0: mm-hmm. you
2: know I really do Facebook insta uh I don't do that much on twitter but but all those things, I think if people are on the phone, they're like driving around you're gonna click on Google like wineries near me or um. Uh, you know, things like that. That's, that's, that's how we're getting a lot of new business. But the beauty of it for us, I have to say, is referral. We have a lot of referral business. We have a lot of repeat business. From Winston-Salem, from Louisville, Charlotte. I mean, a lot. I had a couple come up here and I mean, and, and we also do it by appointment. If you wanna come up here and shop or, or taste wines on a Thursday, just let me know in advance you know we'll make it happen if he's here I'm here uh, you know things like that uh, have, have kept us in business I had a couple up here what, a week or two ago from the Raleigh area they've been coming up here for years not just to us but to a lot of places they're pretty wine savvy they come up here you know they're real laid back they come in they taste a few wines do a couple of flights you know, $1,200 later, yeah, yeah. you know, they that's a beautiful thing. It's not just about the money, and I didn't throw that out there, to the sound, but we have that type of business after, you know, what, almost 20 years in business, and that's beautiful. You know, I mean, you can only hope for that. If you're a restaurant or a winery or, you know, person that cleans your car, it's just Referral and repeat business, everything.
1: You mentioned social media too, so how can people find you on social media?
2: Just settle4201.com, okay. Facebook, Instagram, you know, you get a lot of hits on there. That's sort of if we're having a, an event or live music or things like that, occasionally that's that's how they find out about it.
0: And you're at 4201 Apperson Road and it's been.
2: Right. Physical. Right.
0: That's it.
1: Yeah, so we're kind of winding down on the questions. Anything else you want the listeners to know about reporting school?
2: I think I've probably said way too much, but I don't know. That's been good this It's nice to to like put it out there and think about it from years back and sort of why you did it, how you did it, and where you got from point A to here. It's interesting. And Greg and I, this is an interesting fact. Greg and I. We're not even married when we started this vineyard. No, it was 2003. We were dating and just having fun, and just saw, you know, oh yes, he had, he lived here already and uh, had the property, and so we, you know, I was like, you know what? Wouldn't it be beautiful to like plant like a little vineyard out here? Look at Tim and Brenda at Flynn Hill. Look how beautiful that is. <laughs> oh, it didn't look like much work. You know. I, I
1: just we talk
3: you into it. Look Anything. Here. When let you're
2: dating them, you can
3: talk them into let me, it. Let me say this. And it happened. <laughs> We're riding around on my Harley. She's got her arms wrapped around me, holding on. And she says, wouldn't it be nice to play? on am like that one going
0: in over there. Of course you say yes, right? <laughs> <laughs> sure.
2: Yeah, honey. That's going to work. But, so we did it.
0: And you're married, and you're still together so well,
3: I had, best, I chest had chest to marry chest. my best vineyard helper at Very the time. That was it.
2: That's his joke. That's the funny joke. He married me. We, we planted the vineyard in 03. We got married in spring of 04 because he needed a good vineyard help. And he already knew that I could I could work in the vineyard because I had done it in 03. So here we, here we are. Here we are. Here we are. And another great thing, I never have to. Harry hairy teeter about wine or you know that's I got true. it I got it I don't run out I don't run out that's now, a good I thing do drink night. other wines I don't drink just our wine you know I love sparklings uh, you know I love Prosecco I love Saint Blanc if it would grow here I'd plant it some people got it but it's just a toughie. but so you know and I like to experience all wines sure. from all regions not just I don't think this is the only wine that's any good at all but um, it ain't bad. That's no, not. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great way to end the conversation. Yeah. So yeah.
0: it ain't bad. So nice. nice. Thank you, Donna. Thank You're you so welcome. Appreciate thank it. you. Over and for me on. Thank you. Perfect. We'll just
3: get us another glass.
0: Yeah.
1: That's it for this episode of Cork Talk.
0: Thanks again to Donna and Greg. We appreciate the conversation and highly recommend you plan a visit soon. If you like this
1: episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. It helps others find Cork
0: Talk and lets us know how we can improve. Did you know we have a Patreon page? You'll get patron-only content, early access to each show, and more when you sign up. You can find out more information at patreon.com slash Cork Talk. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NCWineGuys. Until next time, and remember... Cork only talks when it's out of the bottle. Cheers. Cork Talk is a free-run LLC production.
1: This episode was made possible in part by a grant from the North Carolina Wine and Grape Council.